Well, welcome back to Sheep Stuff You Should Know, the first episode of 2023. Today, this is Ryan Mahoney, uh, Amy Livestock Broadcasting from Amy Tower One, and I got uh, today. I'm joined by Dr. Rosie. I I tried to drag that entrance out so that way you could finish your yawn. Dr. <laughs> Rosie Bush, welcome. How are Hello. you today? <laughs> I'm doing so good. Like it's two in the so afternoon. So much energy in here, and yeah. <laughs> two in the afternoon. What are you doing, yawning? I don't know. I need more oxygen, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that, or maybe <laughs> sitting it's sitting at my desk all day, so there's blood flow is not happening very well. <laughs> very dreary though outside too. Yes. It's yeah, you know. and of course I decided to go downstairs and get lunch like right when the rain started up again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I haven't been a student in a very long time and I'm taking some classes now and in the class, like it's a weekend of classes that I've been doing every month or so. But anyway, um, they have one class and they, we, we go to like a center, it's a retreat center, and then we go and take classes and they have morning and afternoon class. And the food is like classic cafeteria food, right? It's going to be <laughs> heavy, salty chicken and rice and pasta and bread and all these good delicious things mm-hmm. anyway and then you go and you come out of that and you have to sit down at one o'clock for a two-hour class <laughs> and you're just like this is so interesting but i just can't stay awake yes <laughs> it's so hard and man it's so true but. Yeah, I feel like I've always been doomed to to give those lectures or presentations out after lunch, so I try really hard to capture people's attention. Yeah, but it's it's hard. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. I don't know how. It's tough. And like and then like figure. How do you figure in breaks to make it engaging? And like you know, I don't know. Like because it's like. It's really good stuff. I really am interested and I really like material and all that stuff. But man, it's just, you know, your body is a machine that does things. And when you eat a bunch of food and then you sit down afterwards, you're tired. Food coma. You're tired. <laughs> and and I did until just full disclosure, I just got back. I had lunch with my grandpa and the the internationally famous due to sheep stuff you could know guest Duncan McCormick and so oh, cool. me and Duncan and grandpa went to lunch and I had a giant clam chowder and a sourdough bread bowl which is just mm-hmm. a classic northern California dish and it's so good and I'm so <laughs> sleepy now <laughs> but it was great I had nachos when I went yeah. down to the cafeteria it was good <laughs> Yes, yep. indeed. So is is clam because like uh I guess is it the because clam chowder is a New England thing, right? Yes, uh, clam chowder yeah. is a New England thing. Yeah. But uh clam chowder in the sourdough bread bowl is a San Francisco thing. Yeah, I think so. And right, there's different kinds of clam chowder. There's like there's Manhattan, red and white. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, I get the yeah. white, but it's still they call it New England clam chowder. So it's, it's a white clam chowder. So it's a New England soup or chowder, but uh, yeah, I think Boudin bakery made it a thing to put it in the bread bowl. Maybe whoever did that. Thank you. And it was, (laughs) I mean, it was like, it's raining, it's cold, it's windy. It's just, it's nice, wonderful storm. And man, that was so tasty. Just (laughs) 
I'm chowdering a bit, a little bit of, I like a little bit of Tabasco in mine. I don't uh -huh. like Tabasco at all. It's too vinegary, <laughs> but when yeah. you mix it in with the clam chowder, like a good clam chowder, it just adds a little, adds a little zip and yep. man, that's good. <laughs> nice. Sorry, Very talking good. food. I like food. Food's great. Me too. It's so how was your Christmas? How was New Year's? Oh man. Speaking of food. It was amazing. Uh, we went, we were supposed to do Christmas Eve at my place, but everyone was sick. And so they felt bad about coming over. I'm like, but if everyone is sick, then it's fine. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> we decided to wait. I was like, fine. I don't want everyone to be miserable. So we waited and we went down to Christmas at my parents' house. And it's also my dad's birthday. So he turned 70 and we had a big my mom did a ham. We don't usually do ham, but that was good. That's fun. And then, yeah. And I was in charge. This is the best. I was so crazy, but <laughs> I was in charge of bringing dinner rolls because my mom knows how much I like baking. So <laughs> Christmas Eve, I started, I wanted to bake them Christmas morning after we'd done our thing at home. So I did all of the proofing and shaping and all of that in the middle of the night. <laughs> Christmas Eve so I like had to set my alarm for well I was awake till easily 11 doing all the Christmas magic and then had to set my alarm for like 2 30 in the morning to wake up and make little rolls <laughs> you know I know you well enough to know that even though you frame that in like the negative you really really enjoyed it oh I loved it <laughs> 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 hey, you pretended like, oh, it's a difficult thing, but no, that's like, that is you to a T. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was so totally worth it. They uh, were amazing. Good. That's yeah, so fun. awesome. <laughs> There's such an art to getting a meal that big on time, mm -hmm. like getting it all to hit right and be on time. And uh, that's always, yeah. it's always fun. Yeah. Well, that's and then cool. we did. And our Christmas Eve, we did the day after Christmas. So we had everyone over and we did a big leg of lamb, which was fun. Do you guys, you, your family, I kind of got to ask this two ways, but like growing up, did you have like a Christmas tradition or unique thing that did every year that you always look forward to? Or do you do anything like that now? Huh. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We... I guess I haven't, ex so Christmas day is my dad's birthday. So we always do Christmassy stuff in the morning and then a big dinner and birthday cake and all that at night. So we always got to have Christmas and I, even still we do Christmas day with my family because of that. So I don't know. Yeah. That <laughs> kind of keeps it. Well, having a birthday party in the Christmas is definitely a unique thing. That's cool. Yeah. 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 What do you guys do? Uh, well, it's changed. It changes a lot. But grow growing up, we'd always do Christmas Eve at my aunt Dorothy's house, and so I mean my grandpa's uh, sisters, and um, we'd have a just huge party with everybody. So my great grandma lived to be like a hundred and two or something, hundred and three, and um, everybody related to her. Basically, we'd go twice a year for her birthday and Christmas Eve and have these parties and they'd typically be at aunt Dorothy's house. She had this cool house in the Susun Valley that had tennis courts and a pool and a, it was wow. in an orchard and it was just <laughs> so much fun. And, um, uh, just, and then 
um, they had a, I thought it was the real guy, but I learned that the real guy was busy. And so it was a neighbor of theirs, but nobody in the family knew him except for like the adults. And, um, he'd come over, he had a big white beard and he'd play Santa Claus every year and he'd come <laughs> in and he'd sing songs and he'd pass out presents to the kids. And it was just like that Christmas Eve was just the greatest, greatest day of the year, like going to that family party. And then, cool. um, that tradition's stopped. And like when you get married and change families, you're like merging traditions. So you have to kind of, mm-hmm. you kind of have to play back and forth and do different things and figure out what works. And, and so I think now kind of what's developed is, um, we do a big Christmas breakfast. So we do Christmas Eve. Uh, usually we'll do a little something. Um, just, we, we do, we do a Christmas Eve thing with the family. It's just not as big as it was. And, and mm-hmm. like the same every year, it kind of changes places and moves around. Back then it was always like, you just, you knew December 26th that the next year, December 24th, you're going to be at that house. <laughs> Whereas <Yeah>. now <laughs> it gets planned a week out, two weeks out. But, um, but yeah, so we do that. And then we go to Christmas mass, usually at the vigil or the midnight mass, something like that. And then the next morning we do a giant breakfast and we don't let the kids open any presents till after the breakfast. And, um, <laughs> and that's always, that, that breakfast is really fun. Really, that's really cool. fun. Cause there's like, there's a ton of anticipation and kids want to eat, but then the food's always really good too. So they like to eat, but they also want to get into the presents, but the, there's just like these presents sitting in the other room and they're so <laughs> close, but you can't get to them yet. And so they're like, they're always sneaking a look to see what they could see. They're poking <laughs> out of the stockings and then like run back and pretend like they weren't seeing it. It's just, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> that's but. funny. I've never experienced my kids. They've never woken up early and woken us up. I've always woken up before them. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> I'm more excited. Well, you're than getting you up are. at two in the morning to bake rolls. Yeah, so, you, so I guess. Yeah, I don't think anybody can compete with that. <laughs> no, they're you like might, rolling out of bed at 7 30. I'm like, come on, guys. You might run into Santa Claus there. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, funny. I, I told my kids, I was like, I'm going to close your door because I'm going to be up baking. They're like, well, you have to go to bed because Santa won't come if you're not sleeping. I'm like, I promise I'll go to sleep. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's cool. Well, yeah. I also, before we get into the topic, which um, it's a secret, nobody really knows because we don't really know <laughs> what the topic's going to be yet. But before we jump into that, I do want to send a, a big thank you. I got... Um, Probably one of the coolest. I always get like when I get thank you cards and stuff, I always like to keep them. And um, because I, I do appreciate them. And the thank you cards are really neat. Um, I don't know, in the world of like emails and text messages and stuff, and I'm the worst at it. Like somebody when they sit down and actually write out a card to you or something, it really is pretty special. And um I got from uh I had a UC Davis um what was it? It was one of the classes. Dr. Petty and, um, and his wife was involved too, I think. But anyway, they, um, they came out and did a ranch tour and this is like in the fall or something. Well, I got this stack of thank you cards from every kid in the class and then a big one from the, the professor. And like, they're all like, they're all like cards, like written cards with (laughs) a lot of words written into them. And it's like very thoughtful and very nice and very special. And I just like, I really, really appreciate it. Like, it's super cool. Like 
I mean, you even got cartoons and stuff. Like, <laughs> That's so cool. It is like my 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 thank you card piles just doubled in size because of this. Yeah. So, huge thank you to the UC Davis kids and and uh, just I really appreciate that a lot and and that that uh, yeah I know sometimes like if it's an assignment it can be annoying but I really do appreciate it. It really means means a means a bunch and it's very special. So. Yeah. Wanted to... I have all of my thank you cards I've gotten from my entire career up on my shelf. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> I even, I even have like a couple of random little sticky notes that somebody like just wrote a quick note, like, Oh, thanks. You did a great job this. And I'll just put it on my wall here. It just, I don't know. It's good, but yeah. Yeah. That was neat. It's a good reminder. Good things happen. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. So, um, I, um, it's been raining a lot in California. Yes. <laughs> and that got me thinking that, uh, it's also probably snowing a lot in the rest of the country. And I read something today that we have 200% of our typical snowpack for California. I don't know about the rest of the country, yeah. but that's wild. Do you know what else is wild? Mm -mm. <laughs> uh, Mount Shasta or Lake Shasta is 37% capacity. Yeah. The re reservoirs really haven't, they're not as full as I think I would expect them to be with as yeah. much rain as we've gotten. Yeah. No, it's crazy. It's really good though. I mean, it but really they will fill, right? Like most of their fill comes from snow melt. Exactly. So you got snowpack that turns into melt. And so you have to keep capacity. Whereas like Lake Berryessa over here in the County, that one's 67% full, but that's filled with rainfall because it's yeah. not in the snow zone. There's no, not a range that gets snowpack. And but it like, will take longer to fill, right? Cause isn't it a three year reservoir? Whereas like Folsom's like six yeah. months or Folsom the news, trains so The news fast. loves Folsom reservoir. Yes, that's the fun <laughs> one because it fills so fast. Cause it's a tiny little reservoir that doesn't yes. hold very much and it's in the rain zone. And so. It's just like Folsom's the first to be empty. Well, of course, it's the smallest. And oh, yes. Folsom's <laughs> overflowing. Well, of course, it's supposed to overflow. <laughs> like, it's designed that yeah, way. Mount, Mount Shasta yeah. and Lake Orville. And the, the yeah, old, let's talk about those. Oh, man, when Orville almost overflowed. When was that? Like four years ago or something? Yeah, that, that was, was really crazy. scary. Like that, yeah. I had some friends that, that uh, worked on the restoration thing of when they were working on it. And they said that thing, like it's literally a miracle it didn't. <laughs> go like it was so thin in some spots and um i mean that was just that was unbelievable absolutely yeah. unbelievable that thing didn't go because that would have been devastating i mean there's like yeah. a million people that live underneath that thing yep yeah yeah that's scary <laughs> yeah that's wild but yeah and then i was just reading something from la county about how or i guess there was an article in la times about how they're not able to capture any of the rainfall and how 60% of it, I guess, is going, just flowing out into the ocean. And mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. So that's like, so like, that's a, I, I feel like a lot of people and um, a lot of people think of water in finite terms, right? Like mm -hmm. It's very like, you have one rain, you need to capture and use all of the water. And if it flows <laughs> the ocean, it's not used and wasted. And then once again, like once you use a piece of water, so you deliver it to a house, like that water is now gone, but it, but it's not like water it's is, <laughs> water is a very dynamic. I mean, it's more dynamic than money as far as like constantly changing and moving and everything. And, and mm -hmm. I think it's, 
I don't know. And how many times it's used before it even reaches the ocean and at which point it's not like it's just wasted out there. Yeah. So like in (laughs) agriculture, one of the biggest reasons we have so much, uh, water problems with crops is because of the lack of reuse of the waters. Mm -hmm. So a lot Mm -hmm. of districts and a lot of areas are built off of using the water 10 times before it spills into the stream or back into the uh, um, stream bed or something like that. And um, one, the restrictions on the quality of the water going back in the stream bed, which are good and important because we want to keep a healthy system like that restricts it a little bit. But then you also have a ton of underground drip. You have changes in dropping cropping patterns. You have so much money getting put into water efficiency things that mm-hmm. has hurt the recycling of water through a system. And even like I was in a meeting in the, um, one of the local cities, uh, their water manager was there, was like, oh, we're wasting all of our water. All this water just gets spilled. And I looked at him like, no, it doesn't. We use it. It spills into our ditches and it gets picked up and it goes on farm ground. Like it's not getting wasted, but mm-hmm. they're not, you know, there's a, there's an idea that once you get water, it comes in, <laughs> you charge for it. And then you want to just go ahead and, and unless you charge for it, it doesn't get used again. Like it's kind of, it has to be monetized and put on a spreadsheet and be able to be accounted for like that way, rather than recognizing how interconnected water is. And it always runs downhill. So you can hold it up as long as you can, but eventually it'll run downhill. And I know it's just really interesting water and water laws in California and stuff. But yeah, um, I find the, how inner intersects with power really interesting too, mm -hmm. like how they'll pump water up and, to store power. Like I didn't realize that until probably 10 years ago when Brian was talking about it one time, but yeah, yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Because what motion motion is the source of power. Mm-hmm. And so you have to hold the water and then when it moves, it generates force and that force turns into electricity. Yeah. That's super yeah. cool. Yeah. Super cool. But um, here we are in all this rain and there's a <laughs> lot of news stories out there and they're all great. And it's all about the horrible flooding. And, um, <laughs> I get this might turn into a lecture uh, more than a <laughs> questionnaires, but I wanted to just talk a little bit about um, how, like, so I talked to my grandpa a lot about this, and we're getting a lot of rain right now. And, but where we're at, we're in the Delta, in the Sacramento River Delta. And because the dams upstream are empty, they're retaining a lot of water and they're not letting a lot of water out. Um, and because we're so dry, we've been so dry that it did a lot has gone into the ground and we're saturated now. But the other um, big water feature in our area, they call it the Yolo Bypass, which is on the west side of Sacramento. Just a big area where overflow floodwaters, they drop it into this bypass in order to keep uh, downtown Sacramento from flooding, essentially. Um, and uh, these rains are so big and so like destructive in specific areas. And I really like to talk to Dan about this too, because he's kind of in one of those more destructive areas with this Mm -hmm. much rainfall. But for us, um, we'll go. And yesterday I, I left, I left the house and I went out to do my rounds to see what kind of storm damage we have and what was going on. And everything was flooded water over the road everywhere. And then three hours later, all the streams had dried up. There was very little water running on any roads because our drainage system is working so well that the water is getting out. Mm-hmm. And 
So you mentioned like LA, you know, you can't capture 60% of the water. The more you capture, the more you run risk of flooding above mm -hmm. that capture. And so there's like, there's a balance between using storage and using your natural infrastructure to control the flood. And the most successful storm is the one that rains 10 inches and doesn't flood. And so like in Rio Vista, we're in great shape right now. We're not flooded. We're, um, I mean, I'm sure you can find isolated spots, but generally it's really nice. Uh, but then you go to like that upper watershed, foothills. Um, I know they had a levee problem on Consumers River, I think. Uh, but you go to those more uphill areas, um, north, um, kind of in rice country, up Orland, that area. You got like 10 inches in 10 days or something like that. But that, because it's further up in that watershed, um, that flooding is more severe than the flooding down here. And it's just, it's really interesting. And so then that got me thinking about like, um, you have livestock and you have them on different ranches and you have them in different spots, especially like these custom graze guys that go all over to all these different places. And how do you... How do you go about preparing and understanding your flood risks in these different areas without having that historical knowledge? Because like I know in Rio Vista right now in this area, uh, we're in good shape for the flood. There's indicators you look at. There's different things. And maybe in March or in February, it might get higher risk than it is right now. Um, up in Dixon in the irrigated pasture, we have different things to worry about. And so it's really, I don't know, like how do you go about... I don't know, how how would you go about, or how do you go about understanding your risks in the areas you're moving in and out of? And then um, the other side of that is just uh, logistics of livestock management in a flood. That's mm -hmm. kind of the other big question I have. I <clears throat> well, I mean, so it's some of these areas are experienced experiencing more damage because of their kind of like the soils and like the differences in, um, oh gosh, well, like erosion, like risks of those kinds of things. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it, it's not yeah, just Bay area. You got a lot more mudslides than mm -hmm. out here or the mudslides out here don't cause damage because they're not houses underneath them. Yeah. Like there are in the, <laughs> in the Bay Area. Uh, there's a little fence you got to put back up, but yeah, <laughs> but I yeah. So I guess you know, find. I imagine your local extension or NRCS or something like that would be a good place to go to for that kind of information. Like what what your risks would be. Um, it was really interesting when I gave a talk on disaster preparedness down in Imperial County, the rather than fire and those types of things that we'd think about up here recently, they were talking about extreme heat and flash floods. And so, yeah, it's interesting how in each area you really do need to understand that the risks are going to be different. Even, you know, if fire is not a big issue, yeah. like in the Valley, we don't have a ton of fires, but we definitely have, extreme heat events not not as high as imperial valley but yeah so you know i think that's where like you said you learn so much from your neighbors well who are the are having a veterinarian in the area who's familiar with the v events that have happened in the past would help yeah. with that kind of thing as well yeah it just it's so tough and then 
like when these things happen, they happen so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to read the signs they're coming, and then you're in the wreck before you, before you know. It. And then mm-hmm. I mean, and then you have situations like like a like you know a disaster type situation, like a levee break or something like that. And now that'll affect you. Yeah. And that's a that's interesting. Out there, one of our ranches, um, the canal was about eight inches from going over the top. Like it was so close. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So the the bypass is like barely. I mean, there's water in it, but not a lot. No, you is, still see the rice checks. Yeah, it's all right on that uh, eastern edge is where there's water. Yeah, and that's where. But it's like barely across. So it's interesting that there's so yeah. much. So they have a monitor and it's about a foot over flood. So they're spilling about a foot of the, you know, it's about a foot over coming in right now, but it's not volume. It's very minimal. Hmm. Yeah. But then, you know, as these rains continue, the risk continues to go up. And so you got to kind of watch it. And I mean, like if you, and then if you take like our big, big floods, you have flash floods or kind of one-off type scenarios, but like in our area, the big problems are always spring. So it's when you get that runoff, and a big storm on top of it, and those dams can't hold the water. And so they're spilling at max capacity into a stream that's also receiving in all of this drain water. Because you take all this water that dumped on us now that's going into the rivers, and then you put full flows out of Shasta and Orville and into the Delta, it basically all forks right here at Rio Vista. And the river level is so much higher than than it is right now and so like right now we have it rains it comes up over the roads and then in two three hours it's down like it's Mm -hmm. it's so quick the way it goes out because it's getting out and when you have those high flows in the spring then it doesn't get out and that's Mm -hmm. when you're really that's when you really have major flood problems and flood damage Mm -hmm. so i yeah i don't know it's it's a it's a challenge and like every ranch is different. Like even in the hills, like every ranch floods a little different. The water flows a little different through it. It damages things in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it cuts off different parts of the place. Some doesn't matter if it's cut off others. It does. And then, um, and so just kind of knowing where your livestock are. And then even like, um, I don't know, this is a good question for you. So like when you, when you get a sheep or a cow and it gets, it starts raining on it, what happens to its consumption and energy demand and, and kind of that, like, how do you, how do you keep good body condition in a wet storm? Cause when you drive around when it's raining, everything looks sad and like crap. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's really hard, yeah. uh, without any kind of shelter or barn, they won't eat. Like they just, they'll bunch up and they just won't eat. I was talking to someone the other day. It was like, they had, like, I was bringing them alfalfa and they wouldn't eat. And yeah, we never feed know, it's not a lack in the of rain. feed. Yeah, we never right. feed hay in the rain because once it gets wet and they're getting rain on, they won't touch it. But we will feed yeah. like right after it breaks. We'll run out and throw mm-hmm. hay and they get after it. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but while it's storming, they tend to just kind of bunch up. And so. And yeah. is that, um, I guess I can ask this a couple different ways, but. Are are they built to handle storms? Rain. I mean, you know, they're built to be outside. You mentioned if they don't have a barn, they won't eat. But 
just the makeup of the rumen and the thickness of the skin and the wool and the weather, like they're built to be outside in weather. Yeah. But there always comes a point in any kind of weather where it can get too extreme that it can cause problems. Right. So the the rumen, think of it as having like maybe a 72 hour capacity. So it's Mm -hmm. got, you know, you can't drain a rumen within a couple hours, even when we try to, to get them. So they're lower risk of, regurgitating and aspirating for surgeries, we usually keep them off feed for 24 hours and there's still a ton of food in there. So it's, you know, like just thinking about it from that perspective, there's, there's a lot of storage capacity for feed. And, but the nice, the other thing with the rumen is it's basically, you know, fermentation generates heat. So it's also a heater inside of them. Hmm. And there's a, Oh gosh, it was a long time ago that I was reading about it, but there's there was a study done looking at kind of the ideal temperature for cattle and it was like in the 40s and like they they do really well at lower temperatures. Um dry. But it's but yeah, exactly. Cold, it's the dry rain that's really hot on them. Yeah. So they won't yeah, they just they won't eat, but not eating during a storm is okay, so that's where if you're worried about, you know, if they're pregnant cattle and we're worried about condition or um, if they're lactating and we're worried about that uh, energy for that, then that's where making sure they have plenty of feed before the weather hits. And then, like you said, as soon as it breaks and getting out there and making sure everyone's all right and yeah, stuck. <laughs> well, in like shelter, the shelter is an easy... Um, it's an easy audible thing, odd, odd, like an audit, auditable, like where you can like mm-hmm. check off and say they have shelter. Mm-hmm. It's a very easy thing to put on paper and say these have shelter and therefore they're in better shape to handle winter. But at the same time, like if you have, if you have 50 cows in a bunch and you have a little shed that holds three of them, <laughs> uh, you have shelter, but you're not really sheltering them all. And then if you take 50 cows and you put them all in a shelter, that brings a huge host of problems Yeah. with it. So it's not like, I guess what my question is kind of getting at is like, it, is that the answer? No, there's trade-offs, yeah. right? Well, yeah. and they, like they are, I guess what I'm saying is to remember they're, they're cows and they're not human. And but there are they, facilities that barn cows all throughout the winter. Yes. Out of necessity for sure. Exactly. And but, but those, they have winter dysentery and they have high levels of pneumonia. Like there's definite trade-offs. It doesn't mean that it's going and, to make them all healthy for the yeah. whole winter. And, and the barns need to be built to handle cows. In it. Like it's just like a lot of times I think, like especially in like audit situation, they think like, well, if I stand outside in the rain, it's going to be cold. I get sick and I die. Like it's not good, but like, they're, they're, they're just, they're built differently and they're built to handle weather. They're mm-hmm. not built to handle extreme weather. Cause that extreme, like, you know, a volcano drops molten lava on anybody. It's going <laughs> to, you know, that's bad. Um, you get negative 50 degree temperatures and snowstorms and drifts. Like that's bad for all living creatures, but there is like a, you know, here where you are, we're in California. Like in one of the things my grandpa was just he's really excited about the way the weather is like this rain. Yes. It's a lot of rain. Yes. It's a lot of moisture. We're getting one inch and then sunshine for six hours. And we're getting, 
a half an inch and then we're getting sunshine for three or four hours. Then we're getting, you know, an inch and then we're getting, so like the way it's coming with these rains and breaks, rains and breaks, rains and breaks, that is a healthy rain Mm -hmm. for the livestock in our region. Now that's a very regional comment because it's, this is just talking right here where I'm at in Revista. Like I said, you get into the foothills, it's a completely different situation. You get into the, you know, north of us, it's a different situation. South of us, it's a different situation. And then you get to the snow country and high desert, like that's a whole nother monster that I don't know nothing about. But like, this is absolutely perfect for us, all of this rain, um, because it's just, it's a, they're really good rains and there's space in between for those animals. They go, they hunker up, they stop moving, you know, and they stay warm in their little, you know, cuddle groups. And they let the storm pass, and then they go out and graze. And then it starts raining again, and they go back into a group, and then they go back and graze again. So it's not like their their rumens aren't emptying out. They're not freezing. Um, you know, it's it, they're they're healthy animals. They're doing well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it then, is harder on, I would just add yeah. that it's harder on really young animals because they don't have a rumen that's developed and generating heat. So they have to be eating to keep uh, their metabolism going and generate heat that way. And if they're not eating because it's raining or they're not nursing, I guess is kind of where I should be going. But if they're not nursing because it's raining so hard and they're all bunched up, then that's where we run into issues. Um, Last year with that big, huge storm that went for 36 hours or whatever it was, the problems was all on the... I think I said the problem was all on like the three to six day old lambs, three to yeah. 10 day old lambs. That's where the problem was. Yeah. It wasn't the newborns and it wasn't the older ones. It was right there, that tender age. And even now, like we'll get through these storms and we doctor pneumonia and stuff like that. We'll find it in the calves before you find it in the cows. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's amazing. The yeah, it's just it's it it always amazes me the resilience of those animals, like how they're just mm-hmm. they're 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 built to be outdoors. And then, but then the other side of that, like you, there's a another ranch that I drove by a neighbor, and they have too many cows in one field. They're not moving them off, and um, I saw two dead calves and three dead cows in the field. Like it's mm-hmm. a horrible situation, absolutely disaster, and. So like, it's easy to mismanage in a bad storm and mm-hmm. it's easy to get caught with problems, but like, um, but that's, you know, that's why you have to make sure you rotate fields. You make sure you feed hay on the brakes. Like you gotta, right. you gotta be so that, in with the animals. Right. They don't have the grass growing because it's over mm-hmm. stocked at that point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that one's like an irrigated piece. So it's a much denser populated place. And then they're not, um, yeah, they just didn't, they're not rotating fields at all. And it's already, it's hard to rotate on irrigated pasture this time of year anyway, because it gets so wet and muddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just left them there and, and they're calving. And so you have lactating calving cows dropping in the wet. I mean, it's just everything you don't want to have happen, happen at that place. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm just you know, there's, there, I read somewhere that like the number one, I don't know, the person who's most likely to turn a uh, livestock place for like <laughs> yeah. animal abuse in is it's like the neighbor farmer. ranch. Yeah. yeah. It's the other farmer. 
and um and i I do think it's kind of true but at the same time you know like those farmers all understand you have one-off situations than habitual people that don't care and um you know, well, and in the one-off situations, you're more likely to ask call, for help. Yeah, you normally yeah. <laughs> you call and say, "Hey, you need some help, Joe or Bob yeah. or whoever." You know, you're yeah. What's to, going on? This isn't normal. Yeah, yeah you need you some and... feed, man. Let me turn them out here or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's different. But then in the ones that kind of do it habitually, they're the ones that get everybody gets mad at. Hmm. But so yeah, so it's not. I mean, extreme weather's are good challenges and big challenges, but. um that's good. Uh, what do you think keeps people that, you know, have neighbors that they see practices that are different from theirs? What do you think keeps them from maintaining practices that aren't necessarily for the best or the betterment of their animals? <laughs> um. Well, if uh, the more spread out someone is and the less they understand about the specific area, the more, uh, the more prone they are to getting caught like in a situation like this so like um you know all of us that live in ranch in town kind of are all in similar situations we're all handling it a little differently i mean mm-hmm. um you know there was one field i had that i told the guys to move yesterday it's because they were getting too muddy and it needed to get moved on and fresh but um and then my other neighbor uh, he probably did a, he's done a better job than I have at getting stuff on good feet all the time, but he's really good at that just generally. And the other neighbor, I'd say, you know, he's doing a worse job than us. So we're kind of right in the middle, I'd say, but we're all working and it's all in good shape. But then this other, this one that I drove by the other day, like the, that one doesn't live in the area and they have the ranch and, you know, he's on vacation or something and they got they got one ranch hand out there that knows what's going on but it's hard to hard for one you know you got one guy on the ground and that that's always why i get a little bothered by a lot of the um those uh those like programs like the the animal handling programs and all that kind of stuff because you end up doing trainings for guys and it really just sets them up as fall people it's like, oh, if that happened, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Didn't didn't tell me, or you didn't move them, or you didn't feed them. Whereas, really, it's like, ah, oh, you kind of put, kind of put them in a bad spot. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's so I don't know. It's a it's a it's a challenge, but it's um, yeah. So number one, I'd say just kind of the the more spread out you are, the more you have to be aware of it and make sure you hedge against it and are prepared. It's also expensive to it costs cash to feed hay. It costs cash to move fields. It costs revenues to have less animals. Um, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, there's costs, all that stuff. So just kind of being realistic with where you're at is a, is a big, uh, a big challenge. Um, yeah. Trying to think what else. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm going, I guess. Can't think of anything else. I really like the diversity in our operation to where we're able to kind of move back and forth between the hills and irrigated pasture, depending on. Yeah. Here I was a year ago, we were in a drought and we moved all our cows to the clover two years ago. We moved them all to the clover. And now here we are two years later and we're bailing everything out of the clover into the 
feels high ground. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like it's it's fascinating how it kind of shifts from one end to another. Yeah. Uh, even like our lambs, um, all our pears were all in the alfalfas, and then we moved them off into clovers, trying to get to first of January. But now we're mo- we moved a bunch of pears. Pretty much all of our pears are back in the hills now. As pears, normally I'd wean them and send the ewes back, keep the lambs up because it's, but it's been so wet. We went mm-hmm. the other way and yeah. the feed's been short because it's been too cold. But now with these storms, it's warmed up and the feed's finally growing, but it's still mm-hmm. a little washy. And so it's kind mm-hmm. of at that, like, it's going to be really good in two to three weeks, but it's not good yet. Yeah. <laughs> so you're kind of like, oh man, please get here quick. I, I, I don't know. It's always like the, for me, it's the toughest time of year is um, probably February because it's just waiting for everything. Oh, you're just hit. waiting for March 15th and April. For, I mean, April 1st, you're home free pretty much. March 15th, it gets awful close and you usually you see it. But I mean, that it's amazing that grass because it just like it grows just enough to where, you know, it's growing, but not enough to feed anything every day and then finally all of a sudden you get into those right kind of daylight hours and the right temperatures and just boom (laughs) it goes so fast yeah and that's you guys have grass tetany in your area right oh yeah yeah we have a big problem with that and so we're actually moving on to a lot of fields now that are grass tetany prone because they have some grass but we've laid off them through the whole winter but Mm -hmm. now we need to feed it so that way we can give these other fields time to rest. So that way we can go back to them February 15th um, and let that high risk stuff um, explode and then get some nutrition before we have to rotate back into it. That's what we're hoping for, but it never works because <laughs> all the fields grow fast, but huh. yeah. And the ground's wet, so we will have feed. That's a good thing too. Is like when it's wet like this, you like we know now we have a year we got we got good feed we're gonna have good grass it's gonna grow it's gonna be good um but it's muddy and wet right now and so you gotta just get get to that finish line you know Mm -hmm. just uh waking up and crossing another day off the calendar yeah (laughs) yeah do you have protocols and things with dr bravos for what you are more likely to see right now in your animals uh not written protocols um i mean we talked to him about all of the stuff we've dealt with and like dealing with tetany and all those things he's involved in all those conversations so um no no written protocols but we certainly deal with it every year and are dealing with it same as always and he's as much as the part of the operation as anybody so yeah well <laughs> Yeah. I know it's crazy how much rain we've gotten. It's been, it's been really impressive. Is it harder to move them? I imagine it's harder to move them when they're wet and. Uh, not really. No, because they're mm-hmm. bunched a little more. Well, and they're going from wet to wet to wet. So it's not like a big, <laughs> they know it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> foot, foot rot's always fun these kind of years. Yeah. I mean, you can get some pretty gnarly infections just because it's so wet and those hooves never dry out. And so they get super mm-hmm. soft. Um, That's always a challenge, but yeah. Yeah. And we try not I to mean, run in our foot baths until after we shear, which is April 1st. 
Yeah. So you're... We'll, we'll treat with antibiotics on anything that goes lame. But. Cool. Yeah. They say if you can catch them within the, within the week of them showing lameness, that they tend to resolve pretty quickly. Yeah. It's That's just hard though say. because that lameness is so much of the lameness right now. It's not from... I mean, you might have some scald or infection, but it's just that hoof is so soft. You know, it gets so wet and so soft that they might not actually even have a bacterial infection in the hoof. It just hurts to walk on it because it's just soft. Like, especially, I don't know, the, the lambs, like it gets, yeah. I mean, you can almost just peel the hoof off if you wanted to. Just because it's it's like, you know, you take a shower and your fingernails get soft and you can like yeah. take another nail and rip it right off. So it's very similar. And if they just scuff their hoof on a rock, like it can really do some damage because it's just so soft because of the moisture. Yeah. They can't get they dry. Can we have our souls. we have our wind roads, which helps. They like laying down on those and we have different things like that, but the fields are very wet. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. We see with bruised soles, they can get abscesses in them pretty easily because the blood that forms in the bruise, it just stays in the sole, right? It, you mm -hmm. know, it's kind of like when you damage your fingernail, the blood just sits there. And so if they get infected, it's pretty easy for them to get infected and bacteria love blood. So it's it's not uncommon to see foot abscesses, which mm -hmm. foot abscesses in general in sheep are not very common. But it is if they do get a lot of sole bruising, then they can definitely get abscesses from mm. those. But yeah, we see abscesses a lot in cows. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, I, we can, I don't know, probably banter about that for a while. But I think we, yeah, I don't really have a, like I said at the beginning, I don't have a real topic. I just wanted to bounce all this crazy water stuff and the stories I've been hearing. I still can't believe that Shasta is only 37%. I know. It's, it's huge though. It's such a big reservoir. It is, but we've had a lot of rain. Like, I mean, you turn on the news, it's all about how California shut down and everybody's drowning and dying. And yeah, so but you it's really far north. So everything's covered in snow up there. It Just is. Wait. Just wait. <laughs> It'll fill. My grandpa says 60%, then they release. They get to 60 and then they release. So. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It was wild. I never forget. It's been a while since I've been up to Shasta, but when I went up there, it was really low. I can't remember. It was that last drought and you could see like the trees on the bottom of the lake. You could see the tree stumps. From It was just insane. Yeah. It was like you're going on a boat through trees. It was so crazy. Uh, it was so low this last year. All these reservoirs too. Yeah. And, um, I mean, thank goodness we're having this rain because, um, we certainly need the moisture and it, yeah. I always like, I don't know, I always like these weather events like this, where you go from this extreme drought to this crazy rainstorms and how everybody freaks out, <laughs> everybody freaks out in the drought and it's like the world's going to end unless we change something. And then here, you know, it's the exact opposite of what we were in and everybody's freaking out and saying, we're going to all fall apart unless we change something it's like well you know we, we're really not in charge <laughs> we are getting calls every day from the kids school saying that the school is open it's like how about you call us when the school will not be open like, oh they closed our schools 
Monday, <laughs> Tuesday. Yeah, I was like, really? Like, I know. Like, I, my you dad's can't a, handle rain. My dad's on the school board too, and he was like, he didn't. <laughs> I was like, dude, really? Like, oh yeah, you know, it's just uh, we got this over here, and oh my goodness, all this is like, well, when I have a problem, I had to go to work. Who <laughs> <laughs> was the kids are like? Wait, we have to. Yes, you. It's just rain. Like you're fine. You have power. You're good. Like, yeah. what are they gonna do if it rains? You'll just stay in your classroom. Like that was movie day. That was great. <laughs> Dude, I was. I went to the gym on Monday morning, and we had like half the class there. And we're like, what? Like, don't people remember when it used to rain all the time? Like we had those mud flaps on our bicycles. <laughs> yeah, I love playing in the mud during the rains. It's like one of my. <laughs> I haven't, we could do it this year. We've had kind of that weird drought. We haven't done it, but uh, I used to go out, we'd do like mudslides on the hills, down the hills, like as these, <laughs> you get these gnarly streams going down. And as long as you find one with no rocks and it's all mud, you just like whip down on your belly. And, <laughs> oh, it's fun. Yeah. When I was in high school, we had, I think we had like four different yards or whatnot in our school. And one of them turned into like a serious lake. It was. Yeah amazing yeah you could pretty much go swimming in it <laughs> yeah yeah no it's jumping was epic yes yeah rain is rain <laughs> it's gonna do it every year it's might yeah. dot might dot do a lot might do a lot they do say not to jump puddles in san francisco right now because apparently the sewage is backing up into the drains <laughs> <laughs> Well, jumping them is what you should do then. You shouldn't walk through them. Jump over them. Don't, don't jump into them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all right. You just have to do it one time and you know uh, you know not to do it again. It'd be an, a serious health hazard. Uh, depending on the area, San Francisco might be cleaning up some of the sewage. So. Oh, God. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Man. Oh, my. That's fun. Yeah. Well, um. I am going to figure out how I can make some chili in the next couple of days because that sounds perfect in all this rain. I think we got two more weeks of this at least. So, Man, I have like 40 pounds of ground elk in my freezer. <laughs> oh, I'll trade you for some lamb. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that'd be a good deal. Yeah. No, I haven't had lamb in a while. Well, I guess other than Christmas. But yeah, chili sounds good. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Sounds good. I guess it's my turn to take it. Yeah, out. you got to take us out. Sorry, I was trying to roll into like a smooth Sorry. transition here. Yeah, I totally No one would up, notice, but, uh... but uh, yeah. Nope. I'm really good at that. Got to read our all advertisers. Right. The shout out to all our advertisers on Cheap Stuff You Should Know. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been fun. Thanks, Ryan. It's good to catch up. All right. <laughs> it's been Sheep Stuff You Should Know. We'll see you next time. See ya. Bye.